A Weekend with Jason Dacey Replay from Money FM 89.3. We are listening to the best-selling boy band of all time, Backstreet Boys with Neil Humphreys. They're coming to Singapore soon too, aren't they, Neil? They're going to be playing a concert here in October, the 30th of October 2019. And, you know, it's really good uh, with uh, them coming and also Westlife coming also in uh, 2019. They're going to be playing in the National Stadium on the 10th of August 2019. I'd like to welcome a man who used to be in a boy band himself. His name is Ali Beg. He was a long-term resident of Singapore, now a sports broadcaster and producer. He was in a band in the 1990s. Uh, let's welcome Ali Beg to Money FM. Welcome, Ali. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Hey, Ali. How's it going? It's not often I get to speak to a boy band member. It's the first time. So welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, Bad Boys Inc. <laughs> was the band uh, that you're in. And I've looked at the clips on YouTube and they had some big hits uh, in, in the UK. Ali, what was it like being in a boy band uh, back in the 90s? What was the experience like? Well, what did you learn from it? It certainly wasn't for me, but over the years... Since I uh, have matured and met my wife and have been able to look back on that experience, I can now look back on it with a great deal of fondness. But it took me many years of questioning why I went through the experience, why I did it, questioned my own soul for many, many years. But now I do, as I said, I look back with it a great deal of fondness and feel extremely fortunate and blessed to have experienced such an, uh, an amazing thing because... It really was an incredible three or four years that I was with the boys in the band. And uh, I can really look back on it now and think to myself, do you know what? There are many, many people out there who would give their left arm to experience what I did, who are a hundred times more talented than I am and who work incredibly hard to try and get a break in the music industry and just never are able to cut it and get that break. And I was plucked from obscurity and was given the opportunity. And just for that alone, I am now extremely grateful for that opportunity. Well, Ali, I have to say that was a very honest and reflective and slightly poignant answer that I was completely not expecting. I thought it was going to be all sex, <laughs> drugs and rock and roll. But so, Not at all. But so not first, just focus on that part first because it's genuinely intriguing. Mm. I mean, what was it about it initially that you had a problem with? I mean, what, what, was, the, what was your issue with being in a boy band? To be honest with you, Neil, it, it happened almost immediately, and it, it was like a punch in the face. Wow. Because what happened was our producer gave a newspaper interview to one of the, the tabloids back in the UK, and he basically slaughtered Take That mm. and Take That Management. And he basically went on to say words to the effect of, I've put Bad Boys Inc. together to knock Take That off their perch. And we were all sitting in a tour van reading this interview thinking, oh my God, what on earth has happened here? Now, up until that point, I hadn't really heard of Take That. I had no idea who they were. And then obviously, through joining the band and getting to speak to people and then realizing that this guy used to be their producer and produced their first hits, that I got to understand who Take That were. And then everyone started comparing us with them. And they had two years before we sort of came around and started to have big hits. I didn't like the comparison because I thought it was unjust and I thought it was unfair. But what particularly bothered me was this guy coming out and having a go at Take That, which then put us in a very awkward situation because what happened from there, Neil, I can guarantee to you every single interview that we gave, people brought up this comparison. And it, it became very, very difficult. And it also put a lot of pressure on us to have 
hit records. And I'll never forget going into the, the studio to listen to the album for the first time. Because when we got together, guys, it was a package. We were basically told, the album is done, this is ready for you, this is what the records are going to be, and you just go along for the ride. And again, that deeply troubled me because I just felt that my career was being taken out of my hands. And that's why I struggled with it early on. And I knew from the early days that we were, I know this sounds slightly over melodramatic, but I knew we were doomed for disaster from possibly the first month. Wow. We're speaking to Ali Begg, former member of uh, Bad Boys Inc., a boy band in the 1990s, had, I think, six top 40 hits in, in the UK and uh, were part of that revolution of, of boy bands, you know, that we saw in the 1990s. And Ali, of course, is now a producer and broadcaster working in Qatar, uh, and he was in Singapore for a long time, used to work with Manchester United TV. He's a big Aberdeen fan. That's his passion, the Aberdeen uh, former club of uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, of course. We'll talk about that a bit later on. But uh, Ali, you know, it sounds like you kind of change gears and and change course, you know, after that uh, experience Mm. of being in a boy band. But it it took a long time for you to get over it from the sound of things. Yeah, because it, it was extremely difficult. When we split up, when I decided that I basically had enough, I just felt that the, the music that was being produced on our behalf wasn't good enough. And we were basically being sold as an image. Now, you guys know a pop group can only go so far with an image. But you have to sell records to be taken seriously and to earn a living. And, you know, just listening to that Backstreet Boys track that you played, it just, it just brought it all back to me. Because sometimes I think to myself, why couldn't we have had music like that? Because if we had, I reckon we would have been an awful lot more successful. Because when the guy put us together, he presented an image. Mm. And I thought to myself, that's great. It's great to have an image. It's, it's something different. It's something new. It's maybe something a little bit fresh for the market. But we need the music to back it up because you can't be successful without selling records. And unfortunately, and I, I mean this with the greatest respect to our, our former producer, but the music just wasn't strong enough. Hence why we didn't really sell albums and we didn't sell records. And the poor record company are plowing money into it to, to make us successful. And when it comes to the second album, there was just no way they were prepared to spend the amount of money that they had on the first album, which they knew had stiffed. And there was no way they were going to be prepared to do that again for the second album. And unfortunately, you know, I'm not going to get overly into it, but due to political reasons and and other things, the record company decided to drop us as an act, which I was fully endorsing because I completely understood from a business point of view why they were doing it. And by that point, I just had enough. I just felt there's no way... I want to do another album with the music that's being produced on our behalf. And I felt like a puppet on a string. I Mm. felt totally out of control about my own life. And that was what was really troubling me. You know, what what the record, not so much the record company, but the management company and the producer were forgetting that you've got four young lads whose lives are at stake here, whose careers are at stake here. At the end of it, when we split up, we were just cast aside. Mm. You know, the management company moved on to their other acts. The producer moved on to other acts, and we were just cast aside, and we were forgotten about. And I found that very, very difficult, and I struggled with it for many years until I was able to reinvent myself through television. And that is where I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity, because if, if I hadn't have been in the band, I wouldn't have met the person who eventually helped me get a television career, because he took a chance on me. Um, when, he, when he offered me a job at the old Granada shop in Liverpool many, many years ago. Now, I met him for being in the band. Now, if that hadn't happened, I would never probably had a television career. 
So again, it's another reason to be extremely grateful for that opportunity that I was given in the 90s. Well, the frankness, Ali, is genuinely fascinating, particularly when you're talking about a boy band, a musical genre, as you well know, that remains unbelievably popular in Singapore. Mm. I've, I've no doubt mm. that both of the Westlife and the Backstreet Boys gigs will sell out. We now know it's moved on sure. slightly to Korean boy bands, Japanese, but mostly Korean boy bands. So the genre remains fascinating. But what I would say overrides all of that is this cynical idea that it's all just packaged by some Svengali, Simon Cowell-type figure lurking in the background, which you seem to allude to. And I'm fascinated by one comment you made there when you said the entire package was already in place, the album was already done. That's what you said. Mm. And I picked up on that. Mm. So does that mean yourself and your band members didn't play on the album or didn't sing on the album? Or what, what are you saying with that? You know, so what happened was the, the album that was given to us was basically prepared for Take That. Mm. It had already been prepared for Take That. So it was going to be take that second album. So when we walked into the studio, the album was already prepared. So what basically had to happen was, from what I understand, Gary Barlow had not sang on any of these tracks whatsoever and he'd not been involved in any of these tracks whatsoever because if you look at the credits, they're all written by Ian Levine and other people. Mm. So Gary Barlow had absolutely nothing to do with that album that had been produced on our behalf. Just jump in so there, Ali. Just jump in there. So uh, for, for the listeners in Singapore, Gary Barlow was the singer-songwriter with Take That. Take That was the biggest uh, boy band in Britain in the mid-90s. It also had Robbie Williams in the band, and they've since got back together. And as you were saying, in those early stages, Gary Barlow was starting to write his own material, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. Well, he wrote all, his, his, uh, all the early material for Take That as well, apart from a couple of tracks here mm. and there. So what happened was, Neil, we were basically, and I'm going to be quite frank with you here, you know, when I was given the opportunity, I know there's no point pulling the wool over people's eyes. I was brought in as part of an image. Mm. You know, I was modeling in London at the time. The producer saw a photograph of me, thanks to the, uh, a photographer friend of mine who placed it in front of him, when he was looking to put this boy band together, and he said, he's the boy for me. So he brought me in because of the way that I looked and because of my image. So I, I remember doing my audition for the guy, meeting him, and he said to me, can you sing? I said, I only sing football songs, fella. I sing football songs. You know, <laughs> That's all I do. That's about as far as my singing goes. And he's like, don't worry. Singing lessons will all be provided. That will all be provided for you. And he was true to his word. You know, and I have to say, you know, when I first went in, we brought in Matthew, who was our lead singer, and Matthew had the most incredible vocal. Now, I'm not being overdramatic here. It was George Michael-esque. He was absolutely sensational, and he blew me away. Um, he was just amazing. And I thought to myself, this, this could be the difference between having a fairly decent career and successful career and having a complete disaster. Mm. So when, after all that, after the album was done, we were then offered the opportunity to have singing lessons. And by God, did we have singing lessons. You know, we worked every single day. The boys and I worked so hard because what was really important to me was that we needed to be taken seriously by the industry. So to be taken seriously by the industry gives you half a chance because it is the difference between being successful and not. So we worked incredibly hard with a vocal coach who was a gospel choir um, singer. And this guy was absolutely amazing. And he gave me the best piece of advice. He said to me, when we were doing our gigs, so we traveled the length and the breadth of the UK for going on a year to try and build a fan base. And our gigs would last from 10 minutes, where we did two songs, 
to maybe half an hour where we did four or five songs. With Dummy Mics, Matthew sang live, and we basically lip-synced with Dummy Mics. Wow. So he said to me, don't do that. He said, sing. He said, actually sing. He said, because, first and foremost, the girls won't hear you because they're screaming so loud, so they're not going to judge you on your singing qualities. So just sing. And through that, by doing that five or six times a night, seven days a week, and then with the coaching, all of a sudden, this voice started to appear. Now, it was rough around the edges, and it needed proper coaching. And it happened with all of the boys. These voices just started to appear, where we got caught short one day. We were in Sweden, and the DJ was very um, pessimistic about us. And he said to us, come on then, sing. I want to hear you sing. And then all of a sudden, Matthew just breaks out into tune, and we followed him. We just followed him. We just sang the chorus. And thankfully, thank God, it worked. And the guy was totally taken aback, and he was like, oh, my God, you guys can really sing. And from there, every time we did gigs, every time we did radio shows, every time we did personal appearances, record signings, whatever the case may be, we always got up on stage and we always sang an a cappella piece. And it blew people away. And that's when people started to take us a little bit more seriously. So it was a package, Neil. You know, that's how the whole thing basically worked. But right back at the beginning, you know, stand free wherever you may be. We are the famous Aberdeen was about as far as I could say. <laughs> well, that's a great segue to tell us about what else you're passionate about. I know, you know, now you're an accomplished TV professional. You know, you've hosted across Asia for ESPN Star Sports. You with MUTV, the Manchester United channel with all the legends of the, of the Red Devils. Tell us about what you're doing now and your passion for Aberdeen FC. So now I am a, my job title is I'm a senior football producer with BN Sports, who I know broadcast in Singapore. We do our La Liga coverage and Champions League coverage in Singapore. So I'm now behind the camera. I took a decision to move away from presenting while I was in Singapore with ESPN Star Sports and uh, decided to try and forge a career in production. I'd always been really interested in what goes on behind the cameras. And thankfully, my former boss gave me an opportunity to step into production. And that's now what I basically do. So I produce all of our live football studio shows. So I've just finished doing the Nations League. And next week, I step into the Women's World Cup. I produce our global Champions League coverage. And I do a show on a Sunday night called The Club, which is where we, we build up to either the late game in France, Italy or Spain. And we show all the major goals from all the major leagues around Europe. Um, in the build-up to that game. Um, so that's basically what I do now, senior football producer. And as a hobby, I, uh, I started a blog. I started a blog page. I wrote a book about five or six years ago, and the book did really, really well. And I'd been asked to, to write another book, a sort of a backup to Beg to Differ, which is what the book was called. But I decided to discontinue the book. And it was my wife, actually, who came up with the idea. She just said to me, look, you've got so many really interesting stories, and you've got so many really good contacts that why don't you start a blog? Blogging is, is really popular and it's the way forward. And I just thought to myself, do you know what? She's actually onto something here. So I decided just to give it a bash, guys, and just see where it, where it would take me. And, you know, thankfully through some help of some friends here in Singapore, they, they helped me set up a page, design a page for me. And uh, it's been unbelievable. The, the response to it has been way better than I ever imagined. We're past 150,000 visitors uh, um, since August last year. A sponsor came on board. That, that was just unbelievable. And I've interviewed some of the most incredible guys that used to play for Aberdeen down the years. 
But part of the blog is, is not just telling stories about Aberdeen Football Club and reminiscing about years gone by and successful years. I wanted to also make the blog a means of um, inspiring people because, you know, I, I went through a lot in my early 20s. I was, be, I was able to reinvent myself and just through, I suppose, courage, a will to do well, some real inner belief. I never, I never had this attitude of, oh, I'm just going to give up. I always wanted to keep going. Uh, I just thought it might help inspire people. So through that, you know, I spoke to Judy Murray. I interviewed Judy Murray. Yeah, about Andy Murray's mother, parent, yes. Yep. Yeah, about how to parent kids who excel at sport. I interviewed Paul Laurie, the former yeah, Open British champion Open from champion, 1999. Yeah. yeah, about how to, you know, just basically keep going, never, ever give up. So I wanted to through the blog, just try and tell tales of inspiration to help people. And the response has been absolutely amazing. I've just been blown away by it. So I'm going to keep going and just and just see where it takes me. But I'm loving it. I really am. And I'm really, really happy. got a beautiful family, two amazing little boys, been in Qatar for six years now and just loving life, guys. You know, very, very blessed. So Ali, where do we get the blog? How can we find it? And how can we get that book too? Maybe find out about your boy band career. Well, the, the book's now finished, guys. The uh, book's no longer available, but the blog is it's just simply www.alibeg.com and, you know, just uh, navigate your way through the page and you can find all the old stories. It is very heavily Aberdeen Football Club based, but I would like to think that people might find that quite interesting because there's a lot of really good guys on there. Yeah, and the Sir Alex Ferguson connection's always a good one. I'd like to thank Ali Beg, former member of Bad Boys Inc., now an accomplished TV professional in Qatar. And, of course, we'll remind you that Backstreet Boys are playing the 30th of October in Singapore. And, of course, we'll also see Westlife. They'll be playing uh, in the 10th of August at the Singapore National Stadium. We will go out with uh, Westlife. And Neil will say a quick goodbye to you, Ali. All the best to you, Ali. It was a pleasure talking to you. And Thanks, do, you, do, do you still Thank sing? You. <laughs> but, um, only when the football's on, fella. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good one. Thank you so much, Ali. And we'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Thanks for having us on, guys. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.